In this episode, Yeoman Rand gets a stalker. Uhura lets Spock know exactly what's on her mind. Jim Kirk loses his shirt and what was left of his dignity. And a young man with the power of a god takes I Got Your Nose way too far. I'm Captain Awesome. And I'm the Triple Hippie. Welcome aboard. Take your station and find something to hold on to because there are no seatbelts on this bridge. So today we're going to be discussing Star Trek Season 1, Episode 2, Charlie X, released September 15th, 1966. This was initially, or this episode was initially called The Day Charlie Became God. Uh, it was actually part of the original pitch that Roddenberry made to the network for Star Trek. <laughs> the Day Charlie Became God. Okay, is it just me? But as we go through the whole thing, does Roddenberry just seem like one of those atheists who was just obsessed with God? Honestly, I think so. I think he's just, he, he was an atheist who wanted to rub everybody's nose. On. <laughs> like, you love God. Well, what if God was real? This is what you get. <laughs> Could be a robot. Could be a robot that you made and came back. <laughs> <laughs> so NBC actually hated this episode, but also loved it. Uh, they, they hated it because it's a teen drama, basically. <laughs> it's a coming of age story. Uh, but they loved it because it was all inside. There were no outside shots of the ship. They could reuse a couple pieces of, of uh, footage and they didn't have to film anything. So no. it, it all kind of worked out. No, I'm not beaming down. We're doing a bottle episode. Right? <laughs> Uh, it was supposed to come later in the series, um, but it turns out that uh, due to the filming schedules, this was actually the first one that was ready, um, <laughs> obviously, because there were no special effects. There there was nothing that they really had to do. Um, every special effect that happens in this episode is a camera cut. So <laughs> now originally there was supposed to be a scene from the of the Antari ship and the Enterprise next to it. So if you're watching the original cut, that doesn't happen at all. However, when they've done the the digital remakes of this uh, series that you might see on streaming now, that opening shot will be there. That was not in the original. Yeah, we should probably put that in perspective. I am definitely watching all of the uh, remastered ones. Yes. So I I see the new style, or well, not new style, but the the new visual effects on the ships and everything, which somehow look way faker now that they've been remastered than they did when they were models. Um, but yeah, so a lot of this stuff, like I, when I read that, that NBC was happy that they didn't have to film any exterior shots. I'm like, well, wait a minute the, they did one. And then I realized, Oh, Oh, that's right. This was made by a computer. Yeah. The only, the only few exterior shots that were in the original were shots that were taken that had already been done for the uh, two pilots. Yeah. And they reused the credits from the first episode as well, um, which, if you'll recall, were the really cool smash cut credits of the ship flying in all kinds of different directions <laughs> that was done because they didn't have enough footage. So they just clipped a bunch of other pieces of footage together. <laughs> now, if you watch this episode, one of the other things that you'll notice about all the interior shots is the colors are incredibly vibrant. Every shot, they've got lights showing on all of the walls and it, like there'll be these cool, like green backdrops and red backdrops and purple and all this stuff. It turns out the reason for that is because RCA actually owned the, uh, the production crew and the, the, the production company. And 
you know, RCA being a, t- a television company, they were in the middle of a rollout of color television. So they're trying to get as much attention on this as they can. And they're like, well, the ship's gray. I'm not putting that on a color TV. <laughs> so they wanted as much lighting as they could get. If you watch over the production of the series, it goes from this episode that is ridiculously vibrantly colorful to fading to gray as things move on and nobody's really getting anything out of it anymore. <laughs> yeah, this actually uh, uh, led me to read uh, some of the notes regarding the restoration of Star Trek. And I'd always just assume that they digitally overdid it on a lot of those background colors and a lot of the scenes that of the original series. But reading with the guys who worked, uh, that worked on it, they said, no, that stuff was in there. It was just a matter of, of uh, taking the original film because they talked mm-hmm. about the fact the syndicated the syndicated tapes and films, those things have been redone so many times. Yeah, that they went back to the original stock and they were able to, you know, revitalize the original lighting. Well, I mean, it, it turns out that because of the fact that they didn't really know what they were doing with the cameras at the time, uh, a lot of the shows from the '60s, both black and white and color, are actually really good cuts, and yes. like the the film quality is actually really good. It wasn't until later that they tried to start cheaping out on this stuff and the <laughs> film quality failed. And it this was, this is partly due to uh, Lucille Ball because she was trying to revitalize Desilu Studios mm-hmm. and she was trying to show between Star Trek and Mission Impossible that you could do movie quality production for television. Um, and uh, Shatner talks about in his Star Trek Memories book just the um, – the pedigree of the technical people working on that Star Trek show. He said a, a science fiction show like this normally would not have had the, the caliber of people they had working on it just because Desilu had movie quality people sitting there ready to go. Yeah. Right. I, it's, and you can see, I mean, the quality is definitely there. I mean, don't get me wrong. The remaster fixes a lot of the sharp edges, but the quality is, is absolutely there to start with. <laughs> now, this episode is uh, is about a guy with magical powers um, that he can just basically make whatever happens happen or whatever he wants happen. Uh, it definitely reminds me a lot of the episode It's a Good Life from uh, the Twilight Zone, which uh, has the, the young boy who... Uh, you know, everybody's like, oh, you're a very good boy. You're a very good boy. <laughs> you know, oh, no, no. What you did there, that was real good. Because he's basically made the entire world disappear around his town. And he's in control of everyone because that's just what he can do. <laughs> um, that episode came out five years before this. Uh, it's actually based on uh, a story uh, that's called, I think it's called, Isn't It a Good Life? Something along uh, that those sounds lines. that sounds right. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a, it's really close in in name. Um, Twilight Zone did a really great job with that, uh, and this absolutely totally reminds me of it. Every time I think about this episode, I think about that Twilight Zone episode. And I I noticed some of the similarities to uh, Robert Heinlein's Stranger in a Strange Land, uh, primarily uh, in that book. And boy, I can't even remember the the <laughs> protagonist's name, but he was raised by, uh, untouchable, what he called ghost of Martians who, uh, taught him how to use his mind to survive. And, uh, Charlie causes things to disappear in stranger and strange land. He causes things to disappear, but not so much people as other things. Um, anyone who spread the book, Knows what I'm talking about. Um, and then also, I'm, you know, you see a lot of echoes in this in, uh, you know, 
Bruce Almighty as well. Uh, later with Jim Carrey, I, I was pretty sure that this was this mo- this Charlie X. I assume uh, inspired Bruce Almighty. I, I, mean, I think there's sense. there's a lot to that actually. Um, <laughs> it, it's actually funny that you mentioned Stranger in a Strange Land. Um, you're not the only one who thinks that. Um, the The character is named uh, Mike Smith or Valentine Mike Smith. Valentine Mike Smith. That's right. Yeah. Um, from, uh, from stranger in a strange land, which was uh, really huge in the hippie movement. Um, yeah, IMDB has got a, a, an entry about it. Um, both stories are very similar to the, the story is called it's a good life. The Jerome Bixby sto- okay. uh, short story, um, it, which it, nobody knows if there's actually a relation or if it was just a coincidence. It's just one of those things. Um, but yeah, you're definitely not the only one who's compared that to a stranger in a strange land. I actually read that book after seeing Charlie X. So I didn't know what year, what year the book was produced. So I was thinking that the book was a kind of a ripoff of Charlie X, but Hey, you know, it, it's also one of those things that there, these two episodes or this episode and the uh, Twilight Zone episode, I I watched all this stuff and you know on reruns on syndication. So I honestly I don't know which I watched first. They're just kind of they're tied together in my brain. What can I say? And then of course, it's a good life will t- later translate into one of the Simpsons Treehouse of Horrors. That's Where- actually one hundred percent true. <laughs> I'm currently binge watching Simpsons with my daughter, and we just oh, awesome. we just got through most of the Treehouse of Terror and. Oh man, or Treehouse of Horror, and yeah, man, the the Easter eggs are amazing, <laughs> and the footballs in the air, and it's turning into a big fault bat, bald fat guy. We know what happens when we that happens. We say oh. it's good. Bard made that happen. <laughs> <laughs> we, I actually just watched an episode where they, uh, um, it was an episode from the first season, and all of a sudden Bart shows up in the living room as an adult. And tells them, you don't understand, our lives predict the future. And he starts naming <laughs> off all the things that Simpsons have predicted. So funny. Anyway. So this episode, like I said, was aired September 15th, 1966. Uh, it was directed by Lawrence Dobkin. Man, you guys have to check out this guy, this this guy's IMDB profile, because I swear he only directed one episode of Star Trek, but it seems like he directed like one episode of almost every television show from 1970 to 1978. It is amazing. Yeah. It, you know, it's, it's funny. We talk about working actors all the time, but it's not very often that we talk about working directors because there are definitely folks out there in the industry that they just go from show to show to show and they guest direct all over the place and they make a huge living from this. Yes. And, and a name for themselves. This Sounds guy like has pretty good gig. between, let's see here, 1958 and 1985. He has 84 directing credits, all TV. <laughs> that is nuts. <laughs> well, you figure it's a lot of the fun of being a director without a lot of the hassle of being a director. Because when you show up, the production's already in. You don't have to worry about the art direction. You don't have to worry about the craft food table. You don't have to worry about any of this stuff. You're just basically employee coming in. You get to play with, uh, with the toys in the toy box. And then when it's done, you get to say, bye. Right. That's, that's a great gig. Right. <laughs> <laughs> now and, also, you know, if you show up to direct one episode, you don't have to be like, Oh, that guy's got a fragile ego. Mm. <laughs> 
I don't <laughs> he really called care. the producers and it's like, you guys know how to deal with this, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Taking <digging> lunch. <laughs> Dobkin also is an actor and uh, he'll show up in Star Trek again, actually in Next Generation. He will play the treacherous, blah, 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 the treacherous Klingon ambassador, Kel, who conspires with the Romulans to brainwash Jordy LaForge in the episode, The Mind's Eye. Is that the one where they gave Jordy a migraine? Yeah, that's a real bad one. That one yes. makes me mad. He walks around kind of, uh, kind of like a zombie a lot, and yeah, it, it's one of the like thirty or forty times that somebody hijacked Jordy's visor. And it almost seems that episode. We might have to do a, an episode on that episode because it almost seems like that episode was just existent to set up the the further story. It, it almost yeah. seemed like a bridge episode. Well, I mean, there's there's lots of those, right? Yeah, I just I don't like it when they do it in. Uh, I don't like it when they do an episodic Star Trek. Right. Of course, uh, this was um, the actual teleplay was written by uh, Dorothy DC Fontana. Uh, this would Heck be yeah. her first credited script of the series. And of course, she would go on to be the story editor and the script editor for the series throughout its run. Now, I want to point out, this is a huge deal. This is a female writer getting to actually be able to write very early in an in a series and being somebody who who goes on to have actual real power over driving the script. And with all of that, they still managed to stick their thumb on her because they would not <laughs> let her put her name, Dorothy Fontana, into the credits. They changed it to DC so that nobody at home would know that there was a lady writing. <laughs> God, it's such crap. And she was so talented. <laughs> I am glad that she got her due eventually. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it's one of those things that it it uh, it's just cringeworthy. It really is. It's like you, you we can't let anyone know a woman wrote this. They right. might shut off the TV. It's, it's as if people sit there and watch who writes episodes of television. Right. I, mean, I well, do, but <laughs> I think it's interesting though because if you look at Star Trek from this point all the way until, I mean, really recent, like the the mid two thousands. Everything from in that period of like of a 50 year span, we see, or 40 year span, we see a Star Trek has this conflict of we're going to show diversity and inclusion in every way we can, unless the advertisers don't like it, then we're going <laughs> to, we're going to step it back a little bit, <laughs> you know, maybe <clears throat> Maybe the studio doesn't like it, but you know, Hey, we don't want to make anybody nervous, but we're really going to push the envelope until they get nervous again. (laughs) The universe is only as diverse as advertising will allow. Right. You know, (laughs) this is kind of a timely thing to talk about. So as you know, my, my wife sent us an article today about uh, the young man who played uh, uh, Jonathan on who's the boss. Yes. And he quit acting early in his career because he was outed by a tabloid magazine. And one of the things that he said very recently is that he has decided to go back to acting because of the fact that he saw Discovery. And Star Trek Discovery has a, uh, a gay couple who are very affectionate on screen. They, they kiss all the time. They're very loving to each other because it, it's just a couple, right? It's just two people who love each other. And he was inspired to, to get back into acting because he was like, you know what? This is okay in society now. 
I can see that this is not a big deal. And he credits Star Trek with being the thing that showed him that. And I, I think it's a, a really interesting point that, you know, it really has come a long way to the point where Star Trek is now pushing those limits and not necessarily backing off because it's uncomfortable. The thing I like most about Star Trek is just his general optimism and the optimism it relays to people, no matter who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, well, it's, uh, and as much as I absolutely hate discovery, cause I do <laughs> <laughs> as much as I hate that series. And I, I apologize to everyone who works on the show because they all do amazing work. I'm just not real happy with the way the story is going, but the, this couple specifically, it was never a big deal. It was never a, Hey, did you know so-and-so is gay or did you know so-and-so is in a committed relationship with this guy? Like it, it, it was never a big deal. It was right. just we never had to have the there. moment of, of discovery of like, Oh yeah. Right. Right. It, it, we didn't turn it into a thing. It was just there. And you know, it sure. It says something about me generation generationally that I noticed, but the fact of the matter is they did a great job of it just being normal. Yes. And it's, it's a wonderful thing. And I think that's, that's really what Star Trek is about is that it pushes that, Hey, there's nothing weird about this. It's just people. <laughs> At least it does now. It, it's, it's been a long road to get there. Yeah. It's always had, so, this, it's, it's had the spirit of that, but if, as you said, advertising only allows so much, so much in stories. Right. So on, on that note, thank you, DC Fontana, for sticking with it. We really appreciate it. And hey, we all know that. your name is Dorothy. <laughs> all right. Sorry for the, the total rant and ramble there. So what is the story? Well, <laughs> <laughs> so the Enterprise is, is, is tasked with taking a young man home that was found alone, abandoned on a planet. And somehow he managed to survive. And once they get this young man on the ship, weird stuff starts happening all <laughs> over the place. And he follows the captain around like a lost little puppy dog because he doesn't know how to be a person, which, okay. Um, <laughs> and then they find out that there's more to him than meets the eye. Um, while he's at it, he's also going to cause several HR complaints, I'm sure. <laughs> This this whole episode is going to be such a lesson in things not to do. It's it's pretty amazing, right? <laughs> how much? How can you get this much cringe into one one episode? <laughs> so let's see. Uh, this one, uh, we will say this is our Thanksgiving episode, uh, mainly because it takes place in November. <laughs> Um, because at this point in the series, they were still saying things like November or Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Now, the the uh, the question is, does the Federation observe American Thanksgiving or Canadian Thanksgiving? Um, ooh, that's a tough one because it is Kirk. So, <laughs> mm. no, I'm pretty sure that uh, that Bones would never let that happen. You know, he'd be like, "This, this is America." <laughs> at least not without it. Yeah. At least without us not having to hear about it at length. <laughs> right. Kirk finally just relented and was like, you know what? I don't want to hear it anymore. And Spock's like, what about Vulcan Thanksgiving? Kirk's like, shut up. See there, there's an ethnic group that is not really well represented now in Star Trek. Vulcans? Canadians. Oh yeah. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, we're gonna stay on Earth, eh? <laughs> we saw what happened with that last captain. Uh, we're good. Uh, <laughs> so they so we start off the episode with the normal voiceover. And Kirk is talking about the fact they've been called out to to rendezvous with the Antares. And I got to say, Shatner just sounds bored out of his skull. <laughs> it's just like, Enterprise got called the Antares. And we, we met with their crew. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not an exciting mission. They, they have to go pick up a kid. <laughs> pick up a kid and drop him off. Right. And then they, they meet the Antares crew. They beam over the, uh, the captain, the first officer along with Charlie. And we notice that the Antares crew are wearing the uh, uniforms from the second pilot of Star Trek, which kind of plays into the whole idea that, you know, I guess smaller ships just get the hand-me-down uniforms from the larger ships, or I'm not sure how that works. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) I also don't really understand what, what their symbol is supposed to be. (laughs) (laughs) Because, I mean, we're still in that phase where everybody's, every ship's got their own symbol. Uh, this one, I, I don't really get what it's supposed to be. It's kind of weird. All I can say is I looked at it. I tried to think it's like, it looks like somebody shot a teddy bear and you're looking at the body from like looking from below up towards the head. It, it's, it's odd. Yeah. It, it's real weird. <laughs> Um, now one of the things that, that I don't know why this episode made me think of it, but I was watching the guy, uh, the, the transport chief as he's transporting them in. And I just, there's something about star Trek that, that you have this incredibly complicated thing of tearing somebody apart, atom by atom, sending those atoms across the ether and then reassembling them. And the only thing you have to do is make sure you can use three fingers at a time to move three <laughs> sliders up or down. That's all you have to do. Every derivation of Star Trek that has existed, that's what they do when they beam somebody up. Is um, they, unless they it's not going well, in which case you have to hit three buttons to tie in auxiliary. Power, oh, that's true. And then, then you use do the sliders. Again. Then you do the sliders, yeah. Even, like, they, they even took this as so far as to on... Uh, uh, enterprise. They didn't use three fingers. They used two hands to move three, three separate <laughs> uh, sticks that were like aircraft sticks. And they, they moved all three of them at the same time. And I'm like, all right, come on. <laughs> so the question I have is what happens if you move two of those, but not all three? Ooh, well then, <laughs> then you end up with something that has turned itself inside out and then is exploded. It exploded. <laughs> I also like the fact that in the transporter room, they have a poster of like a starry sky. Every place that you look on this ship is a starry sky. Wouldn't you have a poster of something besides the very thing that you would look out of any window and see at any time? Ah, this is okay. It's really early on in the series where it was like, Hey, does that look like a space thing? Yeah. Put it on the set. That's kind of spacey. Hey, 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 that coffee cup's got rings on it. Can we put it on the set? <laughs> it was kind of the logic they use in Hawaii Five O to always make sure that they show, you know, five things that are Hawaiian in Hawaii Five O. Because remember, we're in Hawaii. Right. This was kind of the, remember, we're in space. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the Antares crew, they, they, they beam on board. 
And these guys have these grins on their face. Like <laughs> they don't know. <laughs> they don't know. <laughs> and Charlie beams in as well. Um, Charlie is this mousy guy sitting in the back uh, who is played by oh, Robert Walker Jr. Robert Walker Jr. Thank you. Now, I don't know if anybody else noticed this. It's it's stuck with me for, gosh, 40 years now. Uh, Robert Walker Jr.'s head is a triangle. <laughs> he he looks like Phineas of Phineas and Ferb. Um, <laughs> he's, he's just got that tiny little chin and that big wide noggin. <laughs> and so he just, I, I don't know. When I first see him come on screen, he makes me giggle. <laughs> So Robert, just something weird about that guy. Robert Walker Jr. was the son, son of actor Robert Walker and the actress Jennifer Jones. However, they split very early and he was the stepson of David O. Selznick. Yes, yes, that David O. Selznick. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> the other thing that, that was interesting about Robert Walker Jr., at least that, how I read this, was so his role as Charlie – is he is a guy who has no experience with other humans or at least very limited experience. And so he's got to be very strange around everybody. So apparently Robert Walker jr. Was a method actor. And so he spent all of his time locked up in his trailer whenever he was not on set <laughs> so that when he would come out of his trailer, he'd be super weird. Now, considering this story was told by, uh, um, Oh my gosh, I'm blanking Rand. Uh, Grace, uh, um, Grace Lee, yeah. Grace Lee Whitney. Uh, I, I gotta assume it's true because if there's anybody who had to spend time with this guy being creepy, it's her. <laughs> I, I'm just imagining the number of scenes he had to do with Shatner. Like, <laughs> hey, why aren't you hanging out on the set? Um, method actor. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so the, the crew is all looking around really awkward and, Charlie does his look, which, <laughs> all right. So you got a guy who's got a triangular head with a big wide <laughs> noggin and a tiny little chin. And every time he's going to do his magic thing, he rolls his eyes up into the top of his head. Like he's trying to look real seriously at things <laughs> and he screws up his face when he does it at the same time. So it just looks like he's having some kind of seizure or something. <laughs> it is way creepier than Samantha's nose wiggle on Bewitched. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I, I swear, every time I look at it in my mind's eye, he's got his tongue sticking out like, I'm thinking real hard. <laughs> and I love the magic, the magic spell he, he uh, puts on the uh, captain, of the Antares as he just turns like that, Charlie, what a guy. You guys are going to love Charlie being around. He is you guys so are really going to like Charlie. Isn't Charlie a fantastic? Hey, we got to go. Charlie's great, but we're going to go. <laughs> okay. Which leads me to the question. Later on, he talks about the people on Taris didn't like me. Well, it seemed like you just turn your head up into your, your eyes up into your head and you can make them like you. Right. I'm really confused, Charlie. Ugh. So, uh, as they're talking or as, as Kirk is talking to the Antares guys, Charlie interrupts because he's got some questions and Kirk just snaps at him. <laughs> That's wrong. <laughs> You're interrupting Mr. Evans. That's wrong, dude. He has absolutely no social skills. He's been on a planet by himself for 14 years. Cut the kid a break. Right. Now you brought up a really good point here. Uh, 
uh, after saying that Kirk is like, Hey, Hey, you guys want to hang out? You, you want like <laughs> supplies or food or I, I got booze. Uh, we got booze, lots of booze. Oh, oh, uh, no, no, no. We, we left something back in the, I, I think the iron's on back on the Antares. We, yeah, no, we're, we're totally good. It's really weird that, that, that Kirk wants them, seems to want them to hang around for a while. <laughs> well, it reminds me of, you know who they are. You've got that one friend at every party who you're like, Hey, you know, I got to work tomorrow. And they're like, yeah, but come on, man. Let's just let's hang out for a few more minutes. It'll be great. Come on, man. Or they, you know, they walk out of the room and you don't notice they've left and they turn on the TV and you're like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> There's always that one. And Kirk is that friend. Yeah, that tracks. Right. Uh, yeah, at the very end, we were just like, um, videotapes, um, games, um, alcohol. Right? <laughs> hey, uh, you know, we got lots of ladies here, right? Uh, what do you say? So these guys get on the transport pad and they, they, they're getting, they, they do a, a, the camera swings away from them and they look real anxious. I, I gotta get out of here. <laughs> the thing I really love though, is that, okay, we, we realize that they're probably anxious to get away from Charlie, but the way it looks, it just looks like those two guys are not comfortable with being transported. The looks on their face is like, <laughs> Oh God, Oh God, Oh God, Oh God. Right. So the camera pans away. So we don't, once again, NBC saved a lot of money on this. They didn't even have to show the beam out <laughs> and the door opens and it's one of our favorite people, Yeoman Rand. It's Janice Rand. So, <laughs> <sighs> okay. So I'm gonna. So Kirk tells Charlie to go with Janice Rand, and he does this whole very cringy thing about staring at her, and then turning back to Kirk and going, "Is that a girl?" And Kirk thinks it's really oh. funny. He's like, "Yeah, that's a girl." And now at this point, um. This time watching this, I couldn't help but draw a parallel to what other great science fiction story has a kid who can't handle himself and they decide to put him in the hands of an incredibly attractive Hollywood. Oh, that's right. Star Wars. That's right. That's right. This They're making the exact same mistake. Star Trek made this mistake before Star Wars did. Which, <laughs> which one are you talking about? Because I got to tell you. Um, I mean, Luke and Leia. Yeah, that's what they did. They took the awkward kid, stuck him with a Hollywood actress who was really pretty. Is that what you're talking about? Uh, yeah, doing the whole the whole like uh, you know Anakin. Hey, why don't you why oh. don't you guard Natalie Portman? You meant garbage Star Wars. Movies. Okay, okay, just, just making sure. You know, I heard you say great Star Wars. I, I, you, you meant garbage. That's right. <laughs> No, it's, you know, it's funny about this scene though. Um, so my, my daughter interrupted me while I was watching the, this, this scene and I had to pause and go make her food or something. And I come back and I sit down to watch it again. And I realize that where I have paused, Charlie is in mid boob check <laughs> and it's hard. Like he is staring and I'm like, okay, Rand totally would have noticed that she should have like just kicked him <laughs> she should have been like nah that is not gonna happen she should have looked at kirk and been like i'm taking this to hr if you don't get him off of <laughs> you better put those eyes back in your head or i'll put them back for you right now the other thing that i noticed in this is if you look at rand in that paused moment 
she has her little tricorder that is around her or like slung over her shoulder. And I realized Rand is holding that like a purse (laughs) and the way that she's holding it, she's clutching her purse because she's just been confronted by a strange man. And so she's clutching it in a defensive manner. And it made me realize that in all the times that I've seen her on screen, if she's not in one of the movies, she's carrying that damn purse and she's, she's like carrying it all the time. And (laughs) if you watch, she does it. She instinctively clutches it when she's walking down hallways and stuff. And it, like it, it actually says a lot about people in general, but also that they made her wear a purse. (laughs) What the hell? It's so weird. She's a lady. She needed to accessorize. Right. (laughs) So, she walks out the door with Rand or with uh, Charlie and the camera pans back to Kirk and the grin on his face. He totally just caught the mouse and he's like, this is going to be so cool. Oh my God. I am so bored. It's been months of nothing. Right? Going on. This will be fun. Oh. And it's just, it's once again, Jim Kirk at his, this is the last time Star Trek puts me best. on a survey mission. <laughs> So the idea, Charlie's been alone since the age of three and he found things to eat. He talked to the computers on the planet and it made me think about all the other Star Trek episodes I've seen in all other shows where they come across kids who have been left to be, to fend for themselves and be taken care of by computers. That's a, yeah, that's, that's a, uh, I'm thinking of Miri, um, and the child shall lead, and the children shall lead them right off the bat. Oh, um, uh, uh, Discovery did one too. They they went to a planet where uh, oh yes, I forget what they were looking for for the burn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're trying yeah. to figure out where the, why the burn happened, and they found the kid who caused the burn, who was a child left alone being taken care of by a holodeck. This happens way too much, right? Um, there, there is one in, in next gen that turns out to be a child and her father being taken care of by a holodeck, but you know, same thing. And then the one where, uh, where, uh, that, uh, uh, Riker believes he has the son, John Luke, and they, he finds out he's on a holodeck with a alien kid that, uh, yeah, you know what? Yeah. I never even glommed on his mother happens to be that. a holodeck character minuet. <laughs> it's weird how that stuff happens. Dude, I swear to God, I watched that episode for the first time and I pointed at the screen. I'm like, that's Minuet. That's fake. (laughs) (laughs) I'm such a nerd. (laughs) I know my Star Trek. You're not fooling anybody. Right? I mean, at the time I was like 12. So, I mean, I probably had a thing for Minuet. So, (laughs) that's probably why I knew. And Um, and you figured it had to strike Riker as like, oh, that's that that holodeck figure i had the odds for yeah right? that's- <laughs> he knows he made that one up there's there's no way he looked at that and was like oh yeah that's that chick i dated no he knew <laughs> he was like how do you know all that time that he didn't say anything about it he was trying to figure out how the kid figured it out <laughs> so uh, we we are introduced to charlie being introduced to the ship because charlie is laying on a med bed doing leg pushes like presses. So we've seen this device be used many times on the old series or the original series, which is these blocks that are in the wall that people push on. Like they're on a stairmaster. It's so weird because it's upside down. 
<laughs> if you're going to build a machine like this, why would you make it upside down? So you're laying on your back. That makes no sense. Ever, also, everyone, the screen. Everyone, everyone knows your 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 health is tied directly into your ability to push things with your legs. That's true. That's true. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, at the time, nobody was building up their arms, right? It was all about you know lower body strength. It's a, it's a common known thing about the sixties. Yeah, yeah. Nobody had upper body strength. Of course, in Starfleet, it was it was actually probably far more useful to be able to run away from things than it was to try to fight them. So. Right. I also like that the the screen that has the readout of, of the guy's health is above his feet. So Bones has to look through his knees to see the screen. And all I can think he's like, your heartbeat looks good. Oh, no. Yeah, okay. It's good. Oh, uh, 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 okay. Yeah. Now it's good. Reminds me of uh, Joey on Friends watching porn of him being a copy repairman. He's like, there I am. Uh, there I am. And there I am. <laughs> <laughs> i really so, like the part where uh where uh, they start having the uh, uh charlie's asking bones about uh, about the ship and stuff and then he goes into the whole thing which is understandable he's a teenage kid do you like me but when he asks bones do you like me for some reason the way they edited the music it sounded as if he was telling him i'm gonna strangle you <laughs> Right. Like, do, do you, you like, like me? me? No, Dun-dun. I'm going to murder you. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, wait, that doesn't, that doesn't quite work. And then when he talks about, I want people like me and bone says, well, yeah, most 17 year old boys do. They do the exact thing. Dun-dun-dun. It's like, right. I'm really confused why that is menacing. <laughs> well, not only that, but I have to admit. So at this point, my daughter's watching with me and he says, most 17 year olds do. And she grabbed the remote and paused and goes, that guy is not 17. <laughs> she like, nailed it. No, sweetie. She, he, he's 26. <laughs> She's like, why is he playing 17? I'm like, well, it's 1966. <laughs> it's called the 90210 effect. Right. <laughs> uh, so bones opens that, but- Right. So Bones opens the door and he kicks him out and he's like, hey, uh, go find your room, which, you know, we, we saw him just creep all over Janet. So we, we know that she just showed him where his room is. Janice. Janice. Uh, so we, we know that he knows where his room is. And then, it, and then we start to have uh, one of two segments where it's kind of like Charlie Evans day off and he just kind of walks around the ship and looks at people. Uh, he watches a crewman cleaning the air ducts or something and okay hold on this scene pisses me off i'm sorry so we see a crewman who is slowly lowering a pole that is clearly coming out of the ceiling and this pole has measurement lines on it so like this guy's got a a predetermined amount of of distance he's got to lower this thing below him he's got a grate that is in the middle of a hallway (laughs) and he's lowering this pole into that hole in the floor. Where is this going? What is it doing? Is he going to leave it there? Like, what the heck is this thing? My first thought, I don't know why. Can you imagine walking down the hallway and you're like, oh, I ran into a pole because there's a freaking (laughs) pole going from the ceiling to the floor for no reason. My first thought, and I have no idea. My first thought was, Oh, that's obviously the tubing for like the ketchup dispenser that goes down into the cafeteria. <laughs> that that just totally makes sense. <laughs> well, okay. I tried to justify this and I was like, you know what? 
he, he it's like he's uh, he's running cables, and this tube is to help him navigate. So it's right. It, he's, okay. he's snaking it. Okay. I was like, okay, that's cool. That's cool. But then the more I thought about it, the more I was like, well, wait a minute. Once he takes the tube out of there, now there's a cable running from the ceiling to the floor. So that's not it. Is he like, <laughs> what in God's name could he possibly be doing? He uh, might've been actually just stealing cable and that's where he was hiding it. Oh, there's a, there's a, a very big uh, copper market. Is that what it is? <laughs> The, uh, the the optical cable market uh, at this time is sky high, so uh, they're right. just ripping it well, out of the walls and stowing it where also, they can. Also, if I'm being honest, this guy, terrible work ethic, because whoever was feeding him that pipe or pulling it from him or whatever, it was moving at like an inch a second. It was real <laughs> slow. And he had a big old grin on his face like, this is going to take forever. <laughs> I don't know. It was so strange. <laughs> it's just kind of the random thing of they're doing something. Don't ask what. Right? <laughs> don't pay any attention. And then so, I like and then I like Charlie just looks down at the duct and there's like this bright flashy light coming in there. It's like, hey, is he supposed to be wearing eye protection for that? Because it does not look safe. I'll tell you, if you take this whole sequence and you put uh music from uh uh, leave it to Beaver when Beaver's just walking down the street playing with his friends. It would fit perfectly. <laughs> and, then, um, and then he, and then, I love this scene. He just crawls out of a Jeffrey's tube with two other guys who didn't notice he was even there. First of all, Jeffrey's tubes are pretty small. You're going right. to notice if there's a third person in there. And second of all, nobody thinks twice about random guy just accessing parts of the ship. Well, okay. So I thought about this from the perspective of the guys working, right? Like I've crawled up into a tube and I'm trying to work on whatever. Let's say I'm changing out some kind of fuse or something. I mean, who knows? But I'm I'm at an angle, like an upward 45 degree angle on a ladder. And all of a sudden, this kid climbs up and is hovering right around my butt. I think I'm going to be like, Hey kid, what are you doing here? Get out. The adults are working. You need to leave. But no, he just is hanging out in there. And then they all three come out together. And the guy looks at him like, Oh, you were standing there the whole time. He's got kind of an Ed Grimley grin on his face. Right. Well, and so his buddy who comes out in front of him, he's like, he says a few things to him. It doesn't really matter because it's all crap. But as he's walking out the door, his buddy slaps him on the behind and he doesn't even flinch. Now, I'm telling you right now, I've had a lot of jobs. Any one of those jobs, if somebody decided to just slap me on the behind as they were walking out the door, I'd be like, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say un- unless I'm unless I'm on a professional football team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and even then I'm like, dude, the cameras aren't on. You can't do that. <laughs> I, well, I guess in the future we'll have a more evolved sensibility about these about butt slapping. <laughs> <laughs> so um now you you brought up an interesting point here that apparently the scene of him hitting her or hitting him his buddy was not in the syndication. It, it was cut out. Yeah, and so, in, the, in the later syndications where they kept on chopping up more and more. Yeah, 
Yes, exactly. They they cut that scene out, which was the lead up to him. Well, let's Randall talk about that later. next scene because it is the very next one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so Janice leaves her room, and I love that her room has a very 1960s to 1990s military style placard on the wall that says Yeoman Rand. Um, she comes out and she's straightening her outfit. She's ready to start her day and she runs into Charlie and you can see in her demeanor, it's like, oh, <laughs> so as she walks out of the room, I, I, I do want to take a moment and talk about a wall prop that's there for anybody who's followed any kind of prop stuff. This is called a wall plant on. And basically what it was is the, uh, they wanted to dress up the halls when they were doing, uh, the, uh, sets yes. and the, uh, the art director went into storage at the studio and found these old, uh, parts for, uh, hand crank cameras. And so they're actually like, uh, uh. gimbals and different mounting thing or mounting devices and all kinds of stuff for, for manually or for running these, these manual cameras. But obviously nobody's going to use those cameras anymore. So the parts were completely useless. So what they did is they took those and they cut them in half and they mounted them to a piece of plywood, painted them and threw them up on the wall and said, (laughs) it's some kind of futuristic machining thing. It's like technology. But here's the thing I think is absolutely brilliant about this. They built their device. They, uh, before they could put it on the plywood, they had to cut it in half. So when they cut it in half, they got two props out of it. So (laughs) if you look, you will see one on one wall. And then a few steps later, you'll see the other half on the other wall. (laughs) But they got two for the price of one out of these. But it's it's crazy because they're all over the place. And it's this total throwaway prop item. But if you watch the DS9 episodes where they go back to the Enterprise, they redid all of those <laughs> and they, they like did these faithful recreations. They're so cool. Theirs are made out of wood. The original ones are made out of metal and wood. So like there's definitely differences between the two, but I, I just thought it was so cool that somebody was like, Oh crap, we got it. We got to figure out how to rebuild that weird, totally <laughs> made up garbage that doesn't mean anything <laughs> or that was to, made out of garbage. I'll have to go back and watch that episode. Cause is that, is that what, Cisco was working on when they yes. first see, okay. All right. Yes. It's a bunch of yellow pipes on the wall. Yes. And yeah. that's one of those plantons. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. They're great stuff. And there's, there's red and yellow and green ones all over the enterprise. <laughs> it's not um, art. It's technology. <laughs> <laughs> so Charlie sees Janice and he's like, Oh, I got to go talk to her. Yeah. <laughs> And, and right away, he's just not on the right foot here because it's obvious he's doing the kind of the, I feel funny when you're around dance, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's getting, cl- we're at a Michael, Michael Scott level of cringe on this. It's uh it's really, really awful as he, but he does convince her to, Hey, meet me later. Cause she's telling him, you know, Hey, I got to go to work. Mm-hmm. Can I hang out? Well, and he, he gives her a present, which is her favorite perfume. Oh, this is right. Right. Um, and she's like, where did you get this? The ship stores don't stock it. And he's like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, it's a present, whatever. And, you know, Yeoman Rand being just a girl was like, well, I guess that tracks. I just, so uh, some nerd stuff here. A lot of people have discussions about the fact that 
at this point, the enterprise has stores rather than replicators. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a galley as opposed to replicators. So, uh, by the time I believe it's, um, assignment earth, I think the replicators are a little more in fashion on the enterprise when we get to that episode, but we're still very, very early in the series. And so some things are a little bit different. Well, and this is kind of a weird thing about Star Trek in general, because, um, so enterprise had a galley. This enterprise has a galley. Yes. The Enterprise in Star Trek six, six had a galley. Yes. And um and you we know, know Captain Pike cooks for himself. Captain Pike's Star or Enterprise has a kitchen in his room, at least. <laughs> Which man, again, when we look at his room and we see Kirk's room in this one. Oh yeah. <laughs> well look, his his room on or his quarters on uh, the Enterprise in uh, Strange New World. That is half a deck. Yes. Oh, good gravy. I mean, that's right. that's bigger than the than the quarters that they had on the Enterprise D. Right? Between his quarters and wherever the or whatever void is there for the turbo shaft, <laughs> there's nothing on nothing else on that deck. Everybody else, there's there's five people who have quarters. Everybody else has sleeping bags in the hallway. Right. It goes Lido deck, Pike's <laughs> <Mike's> deck. <laughs> So as, as they, they have this conversation and she, and he convinces her, let's meet later. And he starts walking away. What does he do? He slaps her on the tuchus. Yeah. Now I, to their credit, it could have, you know, it's 1966. She could have just been like, he, 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 <laughs> which I mean, any other show, that's pretty much what it would have happened. True. Uh, instead she looks back at him and she's like, whoa, what the Charlie, living you know, that's not okay. <laughs> He said, well, I, I don't understand. Why isn't it okay? I saw those dudes do it. And and her immediate advice is, well, go talk to Captain Kirk about it. All right. There's 428 people on this ship. <laughs> Even if you take the assumption that half of them are women, that's over 200 <laughs> men on this ship. And her idea is you have to go talk to the captain. He'll explain it to you. Oof. Ow. Um, <laughs> Define the word explain here. <laughs> well, we'll find out how well that goes later. <laughs> so we we head over to the bridge. Um, and Kirk is talking to Bones and he's like, hey, uh, I, I don't want to talk to him. You talk to him. I, I love this. Okay, Spock's going to teach him the ABCs. But Bones, you teach him the birds and the bees. And Bones is like, I don't want to do it. You do it. And I don't want to do it. You do it. <laughs> for first of all a doctor and second Mm -hmm. of all a guy who has been through everything that jim kirk has to become a starship captain and all of a sudden yeah i don't want to have the talk with this kid okay let's be honest here for a second doctor should do it because he's a doctor makes sense captain as you said has a lot else going on (laughs) but even if he's not the captain is Jim Kirk the guy you want to teach a 17-year-old about how life works? <laughs> this is not this is not the role model that we really want to put forth for a, a young man who has not seen people for 14 right? years. You know, Kirk is like, hey, just so we're clear, chicks don't like to be called dames. <laughs> Ugh. Uh, really, Charlie, you should find a woman who's, well, 
maybe the girlfriend of somebody who's a pain in the ass to you at the time and sleep with her. That's <laughs> hey, it got me through a five-year mission, damn it. I find something that works, I stick with it. <laughs> you know, Kirk's just like, as long as I don't tell you it's your son, you're okay. <laughs> so no. Spock brings up the Thesians. Thesians? Yes. Thesians? The Thesians? Thesians. Yeah, I spelled uh, that wrong. At this point, I was, as I was watching it, I was like, um, who? Because <laughs> nobody said that name yet. <laughs> yes, I know. They just got to like, well, I think this happened. Wait, right. what are you guys talking about? Let's. So Spock is arguing that, oh, no, well, if the kid's alive, Thasians must exist. And Bones is like, well, no, Thasians are a figment of your imagination. Spock's like, nope, the kid's alive. Thasians exist. Right. That now, seems like a pretty big leap in logic. They're they're both really stupid leaps, okay? Because <laughs> so I I rewound to figure out what he was talking about to try to figure out why they were talking about Thasians. It's because the name of the planet is, is what Thasis. Thesis Thasis. I forget how they pronounce it. I think it's so, right. So Spock's natural reaction to that is it could be the native people of that planet. Okay, not. It could be some supernatural crazy thing. <laughs> and Bones is like, you're stupid. Nobody's there. Both of those are terrible leaps in logic. <laughs> These guys are not scientists. <laughs> These guys are like conspiracy theorists. The 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 whole thing, the Spock's argument is kind of like, well, there was a footprint there, so Bigfoot must exist. Right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I saw a weird light in the sky. Must be aliens. <laughs> and that's that's the most ironic thing about the entire argument is that Spock is the one saying, I'm not saying it's aliens, but it's aliens. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in all fairness, the rest of them are all human. Spock's the only one who's like, um, you know, I'm an alien too, right? You guys are aliens to me. You know that, right? Yeah. <laughs> if we're going to throw that word around. Right. <laughs> God, that would totally be a slur at that time, wouldn't it? (laughs) So our our next shot takes us to the recreation deck, to which I say this is the best Star Trek that has ever Star Trek to Star Trek. (laughs) Oh, my God. So we're in the recreation room. All the crew is all sitting at tables. They're playing games and chit-chatting. You can see a, a few are trying to hook up. And Spock is sitting in his chair with his Lyra and he's got a little smirk on his face. He's tuning the sucker up. He's like, I'm going to play my weird Vulcan music just to piss all you off. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Open mic night in the rec room, baby. Right. All over the tables. There's board games. There's cards. There's, I I am. I'm very, uh, I'm very happy to see that board games are going to be a big thing in the 23rd century. I, you know what? They didn't have holodecks yet. I, I, uh, at, when you see an episode of Star Trek, it's got a holodeck, no board games nah. and, and Xboxes just take way too much power. That's true. <laughs> now in the background of this scene, you will also see that there is a Saurian brandy bottle, uh, which is this weird triangular shaped bottle with like a, a neck on it. it. It almost looks like a goose. It's like, it's a big fat bottle with a long curved gooseneck. My mom had one of these. Oh, did she really? Yeah, it was it was it was up on a shelf that I couldn't reach, but nice. She had one of these. 
Um, now the, the funny story behind this is it is actually a commemorative George Dickel whiskey bottle, uh, with a leather strap around it to act as a handle so that you can pour the thing. Um, when they put it in the show, they put it in exactly as it was produced, except they painted the label and painted the leather, <laughs> but yeah, it is straight up a George Dickel whiskey bottle. <laughs> And it made appearances in many episodes. Yes, yes. This is, uh, um, I just watched the enemy within the other day and uh, evil Kirk has quite the time walking down the hall, uh, swinging it back. Right. (laughs) Um, Okay. So now we get into the good stuff. So (laughs) Spock is plucking away at his, at his Lyra and uh, Uhura gets this look on her face like, oh, this is going to be good. (laughs) so she gets up and decides she's going to sing and she just starts singing. Now there's a little bit of, of, you know, smirks and looks and stuff like, you know, trying to egg her on or whatever. But yeah, this was absolutely Nichelle Nichols was like, if you guys are going to ignore me on the bridge, I get to sing. That's the way this is going to (laughs) work. What really cracked me up is one of the original notes I read is that the script called for her to do impressions, mimic like impressions of the other officers, like Frank Gorshin or Rich Little type thing. That'd be amazing. (laughs) I know it's like I know she's a singer, but I kind of want to see that version, right? (laughs) I wonder if if uh, when she signed on the contract and was like, "All right, I'm I get to sing in the rec room," she was also like, "And you know what? And sometime in the future." I get to fan dance in the desert. <laughs> Put it in the contract. <laughs> <laughs> so she starts singing. It's, it's a great song. Um, <laughs> she, uh, she calls him a devil. Uh, the, the entire song is basically um, just ripping Spock, right? Well, okay. So it's ripping into Spock for looking weird. <laughs> He's got pointy ears and pointy eyebrows, so he must be a devil. Um, but it's also saying he's hot. He's a bad person. Um, but because he's weird, you should be worried about what he's going to do to all the women. <laughs> wow. Right? So cringy. And this continues the thing that was in the last episode, which is, the whole will they, won't they of Ohura and Spock, which <laughs> never ends up going anywhere, but man, they were really pushing for that. JJ <laughs> Abrams, you know what they, you know what we need to do? You know what we right? need to do? You know what they didn't do and they wanted to? I'm going to do it. <laughs> well, but I mean, in all seriousness, you watch these first two episodes and I totally get where he was coming from. And I totally get why he did that because these first two episodes, it is absolutely like, I mean, the first one, she was literally on her elbows with her hands under her chin on the captain's chair, (laughs) looking up into his eyes. Like they were really hardcore pushing for it. So I can see JJ looking at that and being like, "Eh, I could use that. That'll work. And now we have strange new worlds, which gives us, gives us backstory is like, Oh no, she was screwing with them. These people have known each other for years and she's just, screwing with them. she doesn't really care. (laughs) So she finishes her song about Spock and then Charlie walks in and you're like, Oh damn, you picked a bad (laughs) moment, kid. I did like that while she was still singing, Charlie walked in and, and like tried to get uh, Rand's attention 
And Rand is like, no, 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 shut up. Leave me alone. I'm listening. <laughs> so now Charlie's really annoyed. And so Ohura starts in on the next song. And the gist of this one is, hey, everybody, did you know Charlie's some kind of weird virgin we found? And <laughs> Rand's going to totally give it to him. Isn't that funny? <laughs> oh, man, the look the look that Rand gives her, too, when she does the uh, the whole line about he's, a, he's waiting for you. And she's just like don't just eat right. you don't don't just don't <laughs> her how many times have i told you to stop this <laughs> and then charlie's just decides well charlie's trying to show people card tricks and nobody's paying attention to him so he decides to roll his eyes back up in his head and break spock's guitar and take away her voice so i know i say this a lot but i've got a problem with this scene <laughs> Charlie looks across the table as he's about to do a card trick. He looks across the table and he makes Ahura unable to sing. So her voice goes away and he makes Spock's Lyra stop making noise. And you see a scene of the both of them as Spock's like, huh, that's weird. And Ahura's like, (laughs) and she's panicking. And then the camera swings back to Charlie doing a card trick and nobody notices that these two are across the table. (laughs) One of them can't talk and the other one's got a device that should make noise. It now doesn't. Everybody's just like, Ooh, you got a picture of Janet or Janice on uh, cards. That's so cool. They're in the rec room. If you're not entertaining me, we're not interested. Right. (laughs) Oh man. Security (laughs) alarm should have been going off left and right. They should have been like, no, no, no. I saw that guy. He he crossed his eyes in a real weird way, and then they couldn't talk anymore. So yeah, he's he's uh, he's he's magic. We should kill him. Uh, she's like, so his card trick is that he goes, hey, watch this, and he takes three cards off the deck, slaps them onto the table, and when he flips them over, they all have pictures of Randall. <laughs> and she's like, how did you do that? And he's like, I called your agent. I got some headshots. <laughs> Now, it is kind of funny, though, because these are actually sh- uh, publicity shots of her yeah. that were made for the show. Um, the, the, it was part of the the uh, advertisement package. Ah, uh, okay, okay. And then he does another trick where he takes the same cards, flips them over, and they turn into regular cards again. And then he does his third trick, which is real randy. <laughs> he takes all the aces off of the deck picks one up seductively and throws it over his shoulder. And then the camera looks at Rand and all of a sudden she goes, Ooh, and reaches in her shirt. And the other ACE is in her bra. Yeah. Yep. So at this point, somebody should be suspecting something. Well, okay. It's either some kind of weird alien thing or the rest of the crew is like, dude, you know that new kid, Charlie, he totally was in her shirt. <laughs> he totally got inside Rand's clothes. I know it. It And it is a small ship. Yeah, that, that rumor would have been around so fast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so then we switch over to uh, Kirk talking to a random crewman, uh, presumably outside the galley. <laughs> um, and Kirk is going, hey, on Earth, it's Thanksgiving. So... If the crew's got to eat synthetic meatloaf, I want it to look like a turkey. (laughs) (laughs) I have so many questions. Okay. Okay. So it's Thanksgiving somewhere. Somewhere. (laughs) The term synthetic meatloaf. Yeah. Is that synthetic meat in loaf form? 
is it some sort of weird paste that's been made to look like a meatloaf? I mean, I would think by this time, if we had perfected Beyond Meat, we wouldn't still be referring to it as synthetic meatloaf. Right? Also, shape it like a turkey. (laughs) Does he mean like the bird? Like a cooked turkey? Like a turkey loaf? Because, I mean, any sliced meat can look like turkey if you're just looking at sliced meat. So he wants something to carve or... I, oh, it's so weird. Also, if I sat down to a meal and someone presented me with a meatloaf shaped like a turkey, (laughs) I don't think I'd be fooled. (laughs) I mean, I'd still tear the drumstick off, but come on. No, man, these guys are good. These guys are good. (laughs) Then we switch. So Kirk walks down the hall and he runs into, into, uh, um, Charlie and they get in the turbo lift together. And while they're in the turbo lift, uh, Charlie says, Hey, I got to talk to you. Um, I I did something with Rand that she didn't like Kirk's look on Kirk's face. Like like, I'm totally going to HR for this. (laughs) And he slaps Kirk on the behind, (laughs) which dude, I got to say of all the acting I have seen Shatner do this. was good. So he gets the slap and he just looks on like, uh, what, what was that? <laughs> I need help reacting to something. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, I don't understand why she was upset. And Kirk's like, well, oh, whoa. <laughs> uh, um, the, I, I like the, we're almost progressive method of saying now there's, there's no right way to hit a woman, <laughs> but if, if it's man to man, wait, hold on. <laughs> so there's no right way to hit a woman, but there is a right way to hit a man. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you're not supposed to be saying that either. I think and it just then, meant that you don't put your thumb inside your fist. You on the outside. <laughs> and then he gets this look on his face. Like, how am I going to explain this? And they zoom in on Shatner's face and he's got this wide eyed stare off into the distance his, his jaw keeps working. Like I, I how am I, I, I don't really know. I'm going to answer this. And it is some of the most honest acting Shatner has ever done. <laughs> he looks absolutely like he has no idea what to say next. <laughs> and in my mind, he's thinking, where the hell is Leonard McCoy? I told Leonard <laughs> McCoy to take care of this. And obviously I he wasn't taking Bones care of to deal with where this. Where is Dr. McCoy? <laughs> <laughs> So he gets a phone call and uh, Charlie's like, can I come with you? And he's like, no, <laughs> there's no reason for you to go with me. So what does Charlie do? He goes with him. <laughs> yeah. The, the security on the bridge of, of Starfleet vehicles just really, it just seems like anybody can just walk onto the bridge anytime they want to. Ooh, this is seriously. Cool. Why is there not a f- freaking force field and an ID check? Like, I, I have to swipe my badge to get into my office. <laughs> why, why would you not have to swipe your badge to get off the elevator into the most secure facility in the entire ship? Well, I think that would be, you know, now normal. next generation. I accepted only because I assume that they didn't do that because Worf just wanted an excuse to beat people up. Well, in next gen, 
that that is true because they allowed anybody to beam onto the bridge <laughs> and they then Worf would invariably jump over a console and start trying to beat on them. <laughs> and every single time he would be defeated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Worf it was jumps a long... over a console. He's going to get knocked on his butt. <laughs> it was a long time before he won a fight in that series. Right. But he also always messed up his hair. Real good. <laughs> Just to make it look good. Right. <laughs> so they're on the bridge and Ohura is like, the Antares is calling. And then when the signal goes bad, Ohura is like, I don't understand. They just went off the air. And so what has to happen? Kirk once again has to reach over her shoulder and start clicking buttons. Like, dude, she knows what she's doing. <laughs> okay. This she's telling you something weird happened of you sitting at your work computer at your job, telling your boss, I'm not going to get the report done. Right. And he grabs your mouse and starts opening windows. <laughs> so he starts uh, beating on the controls. Um, he, he never does that to Spock or Chekhov. <laughs> Those guys, you know, they're, they're dudes. They know how their stuff works. And, and, uh, while, they're, and while they're trained to, get the frequency back or pull the Antares back. Charlie just blurts out. It it was, it was like that when I got here, (laughs) it was a real bad ship. You guys know that, right? (laughs) And the look on his face, like, I I don't know what happened. Real good liar, dude. (laughs) It's like, well, they got that part, right? You haven't been around human beings for a lot. So your lying instinct is really bad. (laughs) So, you know, this super tense moment where they just heard a whole bunch of people die. Then they get a message from the galley. Sir, all the meatloaf. It just turned into turkeys. Real turkeys. Now in my head, I got to admit, they opened the oven that had meatloaf in it (laughs) and out walked turkeys <laughs> like full on. I, I, have to say, I have to say that was my, in my head as well. <laughs> now, really cool thing about this scene though, the guy who called up from the galley and said that the meatloaf's all turned into turkeys. It was Gene Roddenberry. I never uh, knew this. Yeah. I've, I read about that for this one. He was, this was his only speaking role on star Trek. And yeah. So if you, if you listen to that, you've actually heard Gene Roddenberry's voice. Oh, I found out the other the other um, small cameo that he had in the series. Did you see that one? Uh, I I didn't see the one about his physical cameo. No. Uh, yeah. So in the episode where they meet Apollo, mm-hmm. and there's a big hand that goes in and grabs the oh, Enterprise. That's right. Yeah, that's Ron Berry's hand. Yeah, yeah, I did know that one actually. That's some great acting. Yeah, right. That hand, Ooh. that hand looked it's like it was really work. grabbing that ship. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> and. Of course, Charlie giggles at this. <laughs> and all I could think is he had the same vision in his head that I did. <laughs> Those turkeys walking out and going, bah, bah. and still, okay, still they're like, this is all very odd. Now, first of all, my first thought is something is happening on my ship. Maybe we should no longer be going towards colony five right now until we figure out what the hell right? is going on. Hey, everybody, let's stop. Yes. Let's stop and figure out what's up before, yes. you know, we, Inflict this on anybody else. Something weird is happening. Let's stop and figure this out. No, no, no. We'll figure it out on the way. I'm sure you know we'll what? have it all figured out by the time we get to Colony 5. There's a bunch of weird stuff that just happened, like, you know, transfiguration and stuff. <laughs> I was going to figure that stuff out, but instead, let's go play chess. <laughs> <laughs> so we go back to the rec center because 
half this show is actually filmed in the rec room for some ungodly reason. <laughs> and Kirk and Spock are playing a very, very elaborate version of Tri-D Chess, which, as you said, looks a lot like the Cones of Dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> you forgot about the Cones. <laughs> Um, I do like how much this set wobbles. Um, <laughs> now, I, I got to tell you, I did some some looking up stuff about Tridy Chess. And the thing that I found very interesting about this scene is the big elaborate metal stand that is holding this up yes. was created by the prop masters. Everything else about this chess set, or well, everything else about the, the chess board, they bought at a store. It was actually... Try D chess and try D checkers that they bought at the store. <laughs> I did oh. not know that those were actual things before Star Trek. Um, I knew of try D uh, of 3D um, tic-tac-toe. Yep. I did know of that, but the checkers on the chess. No, I didn't. I did notice that stand. Cause I thought, boy, that uh, the prop matcher should be really proud of themselves for the stand on oh. that. Gorgeous. I actually did quite a bit of research to try to figure out. That's how I found out about the the board itself is I was trying to figure out what was that stand? Like what before it was a prop, what was it? Cause it looks like, you know, maybe some kind of light or something. Yeah. I, I was trying to figure it out, but I couldn't find any information about what the stand was, but seriously, there's tridy checkers too. <laughs> <laughs> the takeaway right. here is I, d- I did not know how tridy chess worked. I, so when I was researching, cause I, I've just never had any interest in trying to figure it out. And in looking at that, I was like, Oh, it's so cute. On the original series, they had these, these little, uh, two by two boards stuck all over the place. And they've got little, little pieces on them too. It's so neat. It's weird. They don't do that on any of the other shows. Actually, those are a, an integral part of the game. They're movable board pieces that as you're playing the game, you actually move them on purpose uh. and it changes the flow of the pieces. I, I don't understand all the rules. I don't understand exactly how that works, but that's the first I knew about it. And I was like, Holy crap. Wow. I, yeah. I, I, had, no I had no idea. And then I did an even di- more dig or deep dive and found out about the chess pieces. Um, so in the tri chess stuff, there are two sets of pieces that are commonly used in the, the original series until they get some custom cast iron pieces. Uh, there, there was the original set, which is the, I forget what it's called, but it's something along the lines of medieval. And the faces on them are all these like really dour, old English medieval type faces. Okay. And then there's this set, which is a contemporary set that they bought specifically for the fact that they were going to destroy the pieces. Uh, um, okay. Right. Uh, the, the medieval set, there are two really interesting things about it. One is it's really tall. And so if you watch some of the episodes, you will see that the medieval pieces often have almost no clearance when there's a piece on a level and there's a a board above it. And so you will see that the King and queen and the bishops are always on the top level because they don't fit in any of the other levels. Um, (laughs) Once, once they placed everything, that that set piece got used a lot in background scenes all over the place. So I found this page that had information about the chess pieces. Now, to make a long story even longer, <laughs> I am a woodworker and a 3D printer. So 
I have built a, a chessboard and I was really interested in trying to make my own chess pieces. So I went onto a website that had free downloads of just a random chess set and it was medieval chess style. So I downloaded this thing and I've been waiting to print it for a long time. And as I'm researching this story, I come across close-ups of all these chess pieces on Star Trek. And sure enough, it is the same damn <laughs> kit that I've been sitting on waiting to print out. So I had no idea that I was waiting to print out a prop from the show. <laughs> but anyway, very long story. But I, 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 like I said, I did a crazy deep dive on Tridy Chess. It was way too much information. <laughs> so Kirk and Spock are playing Tridy Chess. <laughs> Kirk has talked about, oh, I was just thinking about the Antares and Spock is just like, are you kidding me? Okay. Meat turns into turkeys. Cards show up in women's bras. Stuff is going up. My guitar got broke. Okay. Okay. couldn't talk. <laughs> she still can't talk. And Kirk's just was like, eh, eh, I don't know. It just seems, you know. Kirk's like, yeah, that's weird, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and then Kirk starts moving pieces around and Spock's like, Oh, your logical approach has its advantages as Kirk's like, check me, <laughs> which is basically Vulcan for, I know you're cheating. I'm just too cool to bring it up. And you were my boss. So, you know, <laughs> dude, seriously, I don't think Kirk actually got a checkmate. The look on his face was totally, I saw this in a movie once. So <laughs> I'm going to do that same move and I win. Ta-da. <laughs> It's like hockey players doing the flying V from the Mighty Ducks. That's not a legal play. It just looks real cool on TV. So, so Charlie says, "Hey, I I want to play." And and then, uh, hey guys, can I play? <laughs> Spock starts a Vulcan's playing chess to him. Okay, so what you want to do is Charlie's just like, eh, I know, I know. Okay. I, I honestly don't know if they did this on purpose or, or if it just kind of played out that way. But as soon as Kirk gets up and leaves the room, Charlie gets real serious and is like, let's go. Let's do yes. this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know what I'm doing. Shut up. I was just trying to look naive in front of that guy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to wipe the board with you, Spock. Right. And but- then, of course, we see Tridy Checkers. <laughs> which is what got me to do the, the deep dive in the first place. What um, we don't see is the Tridy Monopoly, which I'm sure is out <laughs> there somewhere, but. Man, what's really crazy is the Tridy Rubik's Cube. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so Spock's like, hey, you made a mistake. I'm going to win in 13 moves. <laughs> so uh, then Charlie gets pissed off that Spock left him all alone after beating him. And, uh, so he's going to look up in the top of his skull again <laughs> and break the chess pieces. So once again, there's no special effects. We just do a camera, uh, a camera switch. And when we switch back, all oh, the pieces have clearly been lit by a, a lighter. <laughs> They've got black soot all over them. Somebody clearly <laughs> sat there with a lighter and was like, hey, I'm melting. I'm melting chess pieces. <laughs> So we we see Charlie out in the hallway now because he apparently did that and then left. And he runs into Ensign Rand again, or Yeoman Rand again, and she's got somebody with her. She's like, Charlie, this is Tina Lawton. She's and a- Charlie looks at her like she's a piece of garbage. <laughs> <laughs> I just, okay, 
this scene of I'm going to try to pawn off my friend on you totally feels like this is Tina. I've never liked her. She's desperate for a man. So have at her. She's a human <laughs> third class and she wears a blue tunic. She's in the sciences. She's a science yeoman. She's not right? even a support staff yeoman. She's a science yeoman. When she walks down the hall, we call her yeoman nerd. <laughs> no, I have to say, whoever did Tina's hair, though, man, oh. hats off. Because, okay, boy, this that one is terrible. This is, she has bangs, but she has a comb over, over the top oh. of her bangs. It's like she's There's, got a ponytail on the side of her head, but it's like the ratty, greasy old ponytail. Like you slept on it four days in a row. She has three. She has three persons worth of hair on her head. Yeah. <laughs> so now, weird. Maybe she's alien. We don't know. Maybe that's a thing. Now, goes all Rand out. does tell him that she's his age. Yes. Which really worries me because that means that this yeoman third class is 17. What age do they allow people to join the freaking Federation? Yes. I, I was wondering this as well. At, at what age do you actually get? Now, I mean. Like, did well, she, at did least she, she sign does- up and they were like, you know what? You're smart. You're going to be a yeoman third class. <laughs> I don't think that's how that works. Um also, speaking of Rand, she also did have some amazing hair this whole episode. She's wearing the most amazing beehive wig oh. that, instead of being a swirl, is done up in a basket weave. Basket weave beehive. That, oh. yeah. I, look, it it's so stupid, but oh my God, that is such a cool look. <laughs> anyway. I just wonder when you look at that, it's like, okay, that, that has to be a robot or something because nobody's doing that. Nobody's waking up in the morning and doing that to their head. Right? <laughs> there, there's a lot wrong with this scene. Um, <laughs> so, of course, he, his reaction to Tina is, well, you're not Rand. And Tina's immediately like, what am I even here for? And storms <laughs> off. Like, okay, I know he didn't, he wasn't into you, but like you could see what was happening here. <laughs> you're, you're not that stupid, right? We're just going to take that. We're just going to pretty much take the tag that anybody 17 years old, no matter if you've been around people or not, you're just socially awkward. Right. Uh, he, he turns to, to Rand and he's like, I just, I, I don't want Tina. Cause you, you're, you're amazing. You, you smell like a girl. <laughs> Which leads us to the question. Wait, what did Tina smell like? Right. Exactly. <laughs> I, it's, he just launches into, I mean, just a good old fashioned stalker tirade at this point. It's, uh, it's, it's creepy. Hungry all over. There's the phrase. Hungry. Yeah. You know, yeah. I feel you when I look at you, feel I'm hungry, hungry all, all over. over. It's like, I, so like, is that sixties talk for horny? Is that, <laughs> is that what it's supposed to be? Cause I mean, it's not a whole lot better. <laughs> it's, it's like they looked at the list of allowed words and we're like, all right, how do we say horny? Like, I, can we start with H and end with Y? Can we figure out words that, that do that? Hungry, hungry all over. That'll work. <laughs> That's, and at that point, it's just like, somebody else is like, can we just put the boy in his quarters for a while? You know, until right? we have a chance to talk to him, keep him off of Reddit and just seriously you know, go ahead. <laughs> Although, I don't know if it was bad directing or bad acting or whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Grace, but this was weird because 
Rand all of a sudden, as he's saying this stuff, she kind of looks like she wants to jump him right there. <laughs> it's like she's kind of considering it. Right? <laughs> she's like, well, he's sweet, I guess. Like, Ew, no. Don't it is do the that. Future. Ugh. So <laughs> Rand decides she's going to go tell on him. <laughs> so she Which heads she to the should. bridge. Because there's no other command structure whatsoever on this ship except you have a complaint, go to the captain. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's some HR person who's like down by one of the nacelles who's like, how come nobody ever comes see me? Don't they understand I have programs to help them with things? This is one of those things that that Spock kind of used his, uh, Mr. Spock, I have this problem because of this boy. Um, Yeah. Uh, I'm a Vulcan and I'm not going to understand any of that. So go ahead and take that part. Duty roster, I'll be glad to help you with, but that other part, yeah, go to the captain with that. He's he's much better on that sort of thing. I just won't know what to do, you know? Exactly. So she walks onto the bridge and and talks to to Kirk and she's like, listen, I've got some personal issues with Charlie. (laughs) Um, I I've got some things that are making me feel very uncomfortable. So can we publicly discuss those in front of everyone on the bridge, please? Because this is the only place I'm allowed to talk about things. This is one of those times that Kirk completely forgets that you do have a ready room, dude. You actually do have a right. That door over there. There, You could go. There's a, there's a ready room. There's an observation lounge. There's the rec room. There's his quarters there. Like there's places. She says I'm his first crush. I'm his first love. I'm his first dot, dot, dot. (laughs) Why is there a dot, dot, dot? I was like, oh man, wait, wait, what did she do? Right? (laughs) (laughs) And Kirk looks at her like, oh, you have a stalker. That's so cute. Oh, good Lord. Yes. His empathy in this situation is a little lacking. Right? Hey, that guy could possibly murder you. Oh, it's adorable. (laughs) So, I mean, at least he decides now he's got to have a heart to heart with him. So (laughs) Charlie walks right in and just like gets like three inches away from him. Hi, (laughs) like, dude. Okay. First of all, the beginning of our talk is going to be about personal space. Absolutely. (laughs) Oh, it was so cringy. Uh, And uh, he's like, well, I brought you here to talk about the, what happened with chess pieces. Uh, why didn't they just throw those away and be like, Oh, somebody did something weird. I don't think this is the kind of thing. They're going to be like, did you hear there was a vandal in the red? <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Although they have been on a mission where they just went and picked up a kid off of a ship. So who knows? maybe they're really that bored. <laughs> yeah. Tra- Tra- Agatha Tra- Christie, this ain't. <laughs> Charlie starts, I immediately goes into the whole, you know, I hate you. I hate you all. (laughs) (laughs) Looking at this scene though, this is, this is my theory. First of all, the look on Kirk's face is again, where the hell is Leonard McCoy? Cause I shouldn't be doing this. Mm -hmm. So he goes into a speech with the kid of like, you know, the problem isn't that you're a stalker. The problem is you got to slow down, man. You just got to, you got to take things slow. I don't. The look on his face is just clearly, no, none of what you're saying sounds right to me at all. 
Right. It's the only time I agreed with him the whole time. <laughs> it's like that, that doesn't sound right. That's yeah. Kirk's quote unquote advice is super cringy. He's like, Hey man, you got to slow down with the dames. You know, they, they get real skittish. See if you take it too, you got to take it slow. Then they'll come around. See? Yeah, man, you just got to do it. Just be real gentle when the time is right. You can crush the crap out of their shoulders and smash their face with a real kiss like a man. <laughs> That's how I do it. Right? <laughs> and then he starts and he's like, okay. Well- if you let that kiss go on long enough, you can just rub your mouth open <laughs> all over their face. They won't even try to kill you or nothing. <laughs> and Trelly comes back and is like, well, I want Janice. And Kirk is like, well, you can't have Janice. It's like, well, I want Janice. He, and he tells them the years are wrong and there are other things <laughs> and that raises some questions right there the way you said that the phrase and the way you said it because it's, i'm not sure i want to know what you know the other things are and oh boy that did not sound good at all i think it's pretty clear the other things is code for she thinks you're creepy and she hates your guts <laughs> god the scene is just so bad <laughs> once again Jim Kirk is not the person you want to be taking the advice from the birds and bees on. That's not <laughs> right. Instead, Jim decides to try to divert his attention. So he says, Hey, Charlie, you like gladiator movies? <laughs> hey, Billy, you ever seen a grown man naked? <laughs> okay. This scene, when we get to the gym, I'm just going to, I'm going to tell you the quote. My girlfriend has said, as soon as she saw this, there is so much awesome in this scene. <laughs> Absolutely true. All right. We've got pugil sticks, which I, uh, as you said, I'm pretty sure are beach balls on sticks. <laughs> you got to know how to use those. Those are, I mean, right across the galaxy, people fight with beach balls on sticks quite a bit. Ugh. Um, <laughs> you've got the judo room. <laughs> You got the tunnel that you do forward forward flips through. Well, I mean, you know, you gotta you gotta know how to fight in the Jeffries tubes, right? <laughs> so the gymnasium scene uh, is 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 a redress of the engineering set. Uh, there is two rooms. There is the judo room and the room where there's people tumbling. I guess. Um, so the the room where the gymnasts are tumbling is the briefing room. Um, the scenes here were supposed to be uh, stock footage that were saved up to be used elsewhere. Yes. Um, but they just decided to stop going to the gym. <laughs> <laughs> Showing that the future won't be all that different. So to paint this picture the way it, 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 you are introduced to it, Ooh. you have a big open room. And then through a window, you can see the next room. In the next room, you have two guys with pugil sticks, kind of sort of hitting each other with them, but not really. (laughs) Making more noise than anything else. Right. And you pan back and you're in a bigger room with mats on the floor. You have Sam standing in the corner and you have Kirk standing in the middle of the mat and you have Charlie standing in the middle of the mat. Now, that's not the whole story. <laughs> Sam is wearing red pants, a short red robe, and a towel around his neck. And everything is emblazoned with 
Enterprise symbols, which at the time, the, this, the Starfleet symbol is the Enterprise symbol. Um, then you've got Charlie standing there in black socks, red pants, short robe, and all covered in Enterprise symbols. Then we have Kirk. Who's, who's, who's wearing there. my Halloween costume for next year. <laughs> He's wearing red socks with red pants or possibly red footy pants. I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> he is shirtless. And to, to NBC's credit, he has nipples on regular television. Ah, and, and they, here's, here's, here's the dark side of doing a podcast like this. When you read facts like, Oh yeah, they shaved him for this one. Cause he'll have chest hair in later episode. Mm. Well, and so that's that not forever. in my brain. That's actually data <laughs> that is in my brain now that hopefully will be some of the first to get lost once I so go senile, but man. Right now I've, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a dude. I've, I've eaten too much in my time. So I've on occasion had to, you know, pull in those abs a little bit, <laughs> but watching how hard he was pulling in his abs, there is a pucker <laughs> on either side of him. And the entire time he's in this scene, he's rolling around, he's doing calisthenics, he's talking, and he's got those abs pulled in the entire time. It is impressive. <laughs> I don't know how he could speak. Um, the scene opens with Kirk explaining <laughs> how you do a stunt fall backwards. So he demonstrates sitting into a roll and slapping the ground as you do so to absorb the energy. And then he gets up and unfortunately, every time he rolls around like this, you can see that he is in fact wearing nylons underneath <laughs> these pants because they show in the back. Now, this is kind of a callback to Star Trek Generations where Shatner did sit down with Patrick Stewart and explain to him that if they were going to go horseback riding, he should wear nylons so that the pants didn't ride up in a funny way. Now we know where he started doing that. <laughs> hey Shatner, are you, you're wearing that again? I thought we were, uh, I'm, I'm going to ride a horse. Pants are going to ride up. Sure. <laughs> Although I, I do have to admit, I kind of want some Starfleet yoga pants now. <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of surprised you can't find these on star Trek.com. So I'm right? drop the ball there. Now, Sam is in the corner and he's wearing his outfit as we described, but he's doing a very specific form of weightlifting. I think there are two handles, maybe eight to 10 inches long sticking out of the wall and they're above his head. And he's just one by one moving those handles. One up, one down, one up, one down, one up, one down. I don't know what this, maybe there's weights in the wall. I don't know, but it's the future. That's how it, working out works. It, it kind of looks like one of those things you would do. So you say, oh, no, I'm working out, but you're yeah, actually right? not doing anything at all. <laughs> no, dude, you actually have to see, you have to put weights on it. No, you no, you actually have to put weights on it. You can't just pull that. Never mind, Sam. Hey, this is Sam. He's got a job moving levers at a lever factory. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so Sam is played by Robert Heron. Yeah, Ooh. this was fun stuff. Yeah, go for it. 
Oh yeah. Um, so Robert Heron was a, a actor and a stunt man, but one of the things that popped out and he did tons of stunt work, he was all over the place. He, um, did some minor acting parts in, in movies and television right across the, uh, seventies and eighties, but he would come back to star Trek, uh, original series in episode Savage Carton. And for those of you who don't remember, Savage Curtain is the, what would many call the Abraham Lincoln episode where they find Abraham Lincoln in space and Spock and Kirk and Abraham Lincoln and Serac go and fight a bunch of bad guys. One of the bad guys is the original badass Klingon, Kalos the Unforgettable, and he's played by Robert Aaron. That's pretty awesome. So, and he worked as a stuntman over 200, uh, 200 different movies. The irony is he passed away just last year at the age of eight. He passed away just last year at the age of 87 or 97, actually. Um, ironically from a fall, unfortunately. Unbelievable. Now I, I don't understand the usefulness of Kirk's moves, his, his little roll and fall. I'm not sure why he was teaching that move. Um, but the look <laughs> on Charlie's face was like, mm, no, no. I don't want to do that. <laughs> so, so my question is, this is Jim's advice for the fact that you can't deal with, you don't have a woman. Mm-hmm. So he, he teaches the kid to do the role. The kid does the role spectacularly terrible and jumps back up and Kirk's like, Oh, that's okay. That's okay. Let me show you another one. And he shows him a little judo move and or he does it with Sam. Sam is very nice to oblige his captain with, getting thrown around in a judo move. <laughs> and then Kirk's like, come on, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. And the kid's like, no, I don't, I don't want to, I don't, I don't like violence. He's like, no, no, come on, let's do it. Let's do it. Come on. What are you a pansy? Let's do it. Come on. Okay. And, and this is the thing he tells him, okay, we're going to learn how to do this. I threw Sam. Sam's going to throw me come over, over here, Charlie. And he immediately starts jerking Charlie around. He doesn't throw them or let Charlie throw him. He holds him off and waits for the kid to try to trip him. And thinks it's kind of funny. This is Jim Kirk's ego getting the best of him. Okay. Let's back up a sec. Kirk. Yes, absolutely. It's his ego. That said, Charlie, his method of trying to trip Kirk is they hold each other's hands. And then he repeatedly kicks past Kirk. (laughs) Just kicks his heart, his leg into the air over and over and over again. This is some of the worst physical action I've seen in a movie in a long time or a TV show in a long time. It was so bad. And he gets so frustrated because he can't trip Kirk and he hasn't even tried. <laughs> and Kirk's like, haha, you're dumb. And throws him to the ground. And then Sam's in the corner and he's like, ha ha ha, you're dumb. I like seeing people fall. Right. <laughs> and then yeah, well, then Charlie doesn't like it. Charlie does the whole stop laughing at me, stop laughing at me, stop laughing at me, and Sam disappears. <laughs> he was mean to me, so I made him go away. <laughs> and the look on Kirk's face, I'm not quite sure if the look on his face is supposed to convey, oh my God, this boy has the powers of a god, or, oh my God, Spock is so going to tell me I told you so. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's be honest, like half of, of Kirk's emotions revolve around how am I going to get this done without Spock telling me? He told me so. 
<laughs> but I think the the real impetus to this scene was he didn't want us to see the back of his tights. Yes, he stands up really fast and is kind of like somebody who's like, man, I'm really glad somebody can't see the back of my tights right now. <laughs> so Kirk calls for security and <laughs> security comes running in. And when, or as they're running in, we get Kirk looking over at Charlie and Charlie says, I won't let them hurt me. And we get one of my favorite Star Trek, the original series things, the eye spot. You gotta have a little <laughs> tiny spotlight right in the eyes. That's how you know somebody's real serious. <laughs> this, I, I, once again, we have another piece of evidence that the Enterprise is really, really not the top ship in the entire thing. Because the guys run in and their pants are different colors. The one guy's pants don't even fit. <laughs> I mean, they look, look like, oh, we both have, we're different sizes, but we only have one size of pants on the, on the Enterprise. So It would have been cooler if they ran in and one guy looked at the other and was like, damn it, Carl. <laughs> oh, we're wearing those? <laughs> <laughs> I called you about this. The security guy goes in, decides he's going to try to phaser Charlie. And now Charlie understands the whole concept of no means no, because he makes the phaser just disappear. <laughs> And by shouting no. Yes. No. And the phaser disappears. <laughs> and now Kirk falls into one of his his tried and true strategies. I'm going to act like a big daddy. Okay. Now, in fairness to Shatner, he pioneered this role. <laughs> Every other captain in Star Trek has played this role with the exception of Janeway because she played mommy. Good point. All right. Uh, so he does the same thing that he does with V'ger, uh, Nomad. How long do I have Troyes? That one I don't remember. Oh, oh that's Troyes. awful. That's awful. Yeah, I'll, have to, I'll have to save that one for later. So Kirk now tells uh, tells Charlie, okay, you're going to go with these guys. You're, I'm sending you to your room. And you're going to go with these guys. And Charlie, he's just like, yeah, but they're not going to hurt me. And at this point, you see the security guards basically saying, yeah, you know what? Not a problem, Charlie. <laughs> not going to hurt you at all. You know, hey, do you need a magazine? Do you need anything to eat? You, Charlie, hey, Charlie, it's going to be totally cool. You know, when you made my gun disappear, that was a really good thing, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> they get the phone call that Charlie. Charlie has made all the guns disappear. Charlie has robbed the enterprise of its second amendment rights. <laughs> you know who hasn't lost their second amendment rights? Who? Shirtless Kirk. He's got the right to bear arms. <laughs> okay. <laughs> For the record, my daughter does not like that joke. <laughs> I said that while I was watching the show. She's like, uh-uh, no. <laughs> so... <laughs> so so Spock is, is, is pushing on this whole, um, the, the Thasians are only legend. And, and, and again, it really seems odd that Spock with only like, with no evidence other than the kid has some powers. That's just his go-to. Oh, Thasians. Right. I love the, the comeback. Well, maybe he's alien himself. You know, maybe that's why he can do this stuff. And Bones is like, oh no, I checked him out. He has all the right <laughs> fingers and toes. So he's human. <laughs> No, seriously, know. by Bones' description, uh, Spock is a human. <laughs> so are all the, other Vulcans. Look, you know what? Look, look at his fingers and toes. Right? 
You got the wiggly things? Yeah, you're human. That's how it works. You know what? Medicine is going to be so much easier in the future. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, you have a spleen? Guess what? You're human. I've lost my my pinky. It's going to be okay. <laughs> I'm no longer a human. <laughs> <laughs> so... It, it, the conversation doesn't really stay constructive. <laughs> I I really like how this scene ends because Bone Spock and Kirk are all talking about, yeah, man, the kid is all powerful, and man, somebody really needs to. Not it, right? <laughs> Kirk's gonna Bones say they're what? Are like, what? Uh, <laughs> not it. And Kirk tries to put his finger on his nose, but he doesn't get there in time. And then uh, Charlie shows up. And he's like, hi, daddy. <laughs> Kirk's like, oh, God. <laughs> yes, I'm about, hey, okay, so the thing that happened to the Antares, did you do that? And Charlie does the soft version of, yes, they deserve to die, and I hope they burn in hell. Right? Well, they didn't like me. Uh, I mean, they were going to die anyway, but they didn't like me. And their ship kind of, you know, it was going to blow up eventually, so... Well, I love that he's like, well, it it was going to break anyway. <laughs> and nobody was like, well, if you're all powerful, why didn't you fix it? Why didn't you help them? Maybe then they'd like you if you you know didn't kill everybody. And again, we've seen you make people like you. I, I, I'm very confused by this. So Kirk gives him his disappointed look, which when we're talking about Shatner, it's the same as his angry look. It's also the same as his, hey, what's up? <laughs> his looks aren't real... <laughs> they're not there's not a lot of range <laughs> charlie understand we're not angry we're just disappointed right he's he's got that face that says i'm either disappointed angry or horny and then he's got his <laughs> other face that says i'm very confused let's do a close-up <laughs> so we get back to the bridge it finally dawns on kirk hey maybe we shouldn't take the kid to colony five right so he's like, hey, Uhura, you should talk to somebody. She's like, okay, let me push some buttons. Bam! Her console goes crazy. And her she holds up her hands. And in classic 60s TV fashion, there's absolutely nothing wrong with them, but they hurt so bad. Now, if this had been Chekhov, he would have been down screaming. They would have doctors coming up. I mean, you know, Uhura, she's just like, ouch. Yeah. Chekhov would have needed a Delton to get out of this. I'm just saying. <laughs> she rubs her hands together. He's like, yeah, I'll be all right. Right. Um, so then Charlie arrives on the bridge and, and all, all hell breaks loose. <laughs> well, first he makes Spock read some of his poetry, which that in and of itself is just horrible. Oh, that explains it. Charlie's a Vogon. Now we know. <laughs> And then he throws in that very he throws in the very nice Mister Ears bit. So on top of being Ugh. a creep and a stalker, you're now a racist. You know what, Charlie? What computer tapes were you watching on Thesis that 14 years? That's that's. You know what? I don't think that was his fault. I think Kirk took him aside at one point and was like, "Hey, you know what Spock hates? Call him Mister Ears. We well, do. It'll it's be great, great fun. Yeah. So Charlie starts walking down the hall after he forces everybody to listen to Spock's poetry and he sees Tina and that's not cool. He turns her into an iguana. Like what? Why an iguana? What the hell? And also Tina was really kind of cool. She didn't do anything wrong. 
And he's all like, hey, hey. yeah, he, he's getting hey. off on it a little too much. Now, um, what is interesting about this is the iguana makes a sound and the sound the iguana <laughs> makes is actually a cut and paste of the sound the aliens make at the end of Cat's Paw, which is the previous episode we did for Halloween. And how did Charlie even know about that? How did he make an iguana right? that would make that sound? There are so well, many questions know, here. He's an all powerful alien. What can you say? <laughs> I'm not only going to turn you into iguana, I'm going to do a throwback to the other episode. <laughs> That's how so, powerful I am. Our next scene is for some reason in Rand's quarters and the door pops open and there's Charlie. <laughs> now Rand was apparently getting ready for bed. So she's in a very flowy pink nighty, which seems absolutely appropriate for anyone who's working on a military vessel. off <laughs> time. <laughs> But man, yeah, she's not having it. He walks in the room and she's just like, no, 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 no. That's not the way that this goes down. Well, I mean, it's Janice Rand. She's a, she's kind of a badass. Yes. And so she stands up in her pink frilly toga thing and is like, uh-uh, this is not happening. You're going to turn right around now. And Charlie's like, no, I'm going to violate your personal space first. <laughs> so he gets all up in her face. And she secretly pushes the magic button. The magic button that links her console directly with the captain's chair. Now, let's be honest. This is Janice Rand on the Enterprise with Kirk. Is it really that hard for you to imagine that she's got a direct link to his captain's chair? Are you telling me that he that she has a you up button? I believe that's exactly what that is. Uh... I mean, you did notice that on one side of the switch, it said booty, right? (laughs) What sort of call shall we make? (laughs) So Kirk and Spock show up. I love this again. We don't call security. Spock, let's run down there and beat him up. Let's beat the kid up. We need the captain. Right. So, and that's again, 400 people on this ship. And instead of calling anybody who's nearby, no, we're going to run from the bridge. So he's such a control freak. My favorite part about this is Kirk and Spock try to attempt to, uh, to attack Charlie and he uses his brain powers and he shakes him like a dog (laughs) and he throws him at the wall. And when he throws him at the wall, you can very clearly see that Nimoy's shoulder breaks into the wall (laughs) and you can see that there is now a hole in the wall. And then the very next scene, he is suddenly sitting in front of that hole in the wall. <laughs> covered it's up, awesome. covered up, covered up, covered up. Right. <laughs> we don't have time to stop and fix the wall. Why are you standing like that, Spock? No reason. Did you break it? Right? No. <laughs> so then Janice has had enough of this. She's like, you broke my room. So she slaps Charlie. And so Charlie has to make her disappear. Oh. So th- and this, this gets in that whole thing of like, now you've become such a monster that you've hurt the person you love. So, yeah. And he becomes a little, he's like, well, Kirk's like, is she gone? And Charlie's like, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> yeah. I, I do find it interesting though, that, you know, Kirk is clearly hurt at this point. He's because, you know, he's holding his guts, which is a, another sixties trope for, a man has been mortally injured, <laughs> so he's going to hold his tummy. And all of a sudden, everything goes quiet. Nobody's talking. And Spock looks up at him and says, 
my legs are broken. <laughs> okay, so you made Rand disappear, but you broke Spock's legs? What do you, all of a sudden, did he owe you money or something? What the heck was that? Right. Well, I look, tri-D chess gambling is an illness. <laughs> you got to help pe- these people, you know? <laughs> if you have this problem, please get help. So Kirk is like, listen, you got to help us. And so suddenly Kirk stops holding his belly. And <laughs> Nimoy gives one of the best performances of his entire <laughs> career as he waits for a beat and goes, my legs are no longer broken. <laughs> <laughs> and the NBC execs go, no special effects. Thank you very much. Thank you. See, he explained the whole thing just by saying it. We didn't need anything special there. <laughs> You guys wanted to use a camera trick. We don't need no <laughs> camera tricks. Look at these actors. They're great. <laughs> so they decide they're going to they're gonna catch Charlie. So they escort him to a room to have a discussion. And as soon as they do, they let him walk through a door and he's trapped in jail. The way he gets out of jail is pretty cool. Like you, you think, you know, I'm going to defeat the security system or I'm going to just transport away. No, he takes the entire wall and makes it disappear. <laughs> now the effect here, I actually thoroughly enjoyed uh, because when they disappeared the wall, all you've got is a cutaway of the wall with all kinds of pipes and stuff running through it. And I was like, okay, for the original series, that's some good stuff. That's like somebody really thought, you know, what's in the wall? <laughs> this is one of those things of like, obviously, Charlie could have been trained to be a, a great designer, you know, and a home reconditioner. It's just like, you know, this entire wall's got to go. Right. You don't like now, that? You don't think that looks good? We'll put it back. This is one of those scenes that was it was weirdly acted because he he walks out of the cell and he says something to Kirk and Spock. And it's not until he's done speaking that you realize Kirk and Spock are frozen. <laughs> they're not just standing there listening because it really looks like they're just standing there listening. And then you're like, wait, maybe they're, oh, they're frozen. Oh, okay. That makes a little more sense, but not really. <laughs> And now Charlie, now Charlie kind of struts. It, it's kind of a uh, uh, um, John Travolta, you know, and Saturday Night Live thing. Walk, he's going to walk down the street and he's going to show everybody what he can do. And his first thing is, first of all, he runs into a female officer who's wearing pants. Mm-hmm. She's the last one we're going to see in the original series wearing pants, but she's wearing pants. And he just ages her, just decides to age her. Yeah, it's really mean. Yeah, at this point, there's being evil, but there's being a jerk. But I have to admit, you know, now I've finally seen the origin story of Ensign Grandma. I was kind of wondering, <laughs> you know, where she came from. <laughs> the cartoon makes so much more sense now. <laughs> and the I do Enterprise like, and Ensign Grandma. <laughs> this is the scene, though, that really, really sticks when he passes by the corridor of people laughing. He shouts, no laughing. Which, first of all, a shout out to my friend Skylar, because one of her very favorite sayings when she was young was, no laughing. (laughs) Um, He screams, no laughing. Everyone's silent. The shadows of the hallway all go, they just freeze. But then you have the female Unsen coming around the corner and her face is gone. And she's going, and her face is completely gone. Yeah, it's probably the best, uh, one of the best effects of the whole show. I will say 
seven-year-old me, that one stuck with me. That one messed me up a little bit. Oh, I bet. I bet. Uh, Twilight Zone, the guys with the clay faces. Oh, yes. That's the one that stuck with me. Um, I, you know, when the, when the shadows froze as he walked around the corner, I, it just reminded me of getting stuck on uh, pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> That's all I could think. Um, so she comes around the corner and she starts screaming. Um, you ever hold your breath and really plug up all your orifices and try to scream? Doesn't work real great. I, I don't know where she was getting that screaming from. She's got no holes in that face. And and what's, what's Charlie's whole deal? Because you free some people, you take away other people's faces. What, what is his creative process here? This is, it all seems very arbitrary. All right. So he did disappear one guy, but other than that, he hasn't actually hurt any dudes. He has frozen them, made their, their, uh, Lyra stop working and that's it. Oh, and took one of her, one of the other guys' guns away. Women, on the other hand, yeah. he really hates women. Yeah, there's a there's a lot going on there. So he goes back to the bridge, and there's a transmission coming from frequency three. three. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's one of the very basic ones. One of the one of the top three frequencies. Hey, coming in on right? top frequency, subspace frequency three. And then we get a shot of, of Charlie running down the hall and he freezes a female officer and just pushes a bunch of dudes. And they're like, what was that? <laughs> once again, once again, yes, very, very sadistic towards women. And then a bunch of dudes, oh, I'm just going to push past you. Right? Out of my exactly. Way. I think, I think he was afraid he was going to get his butt kicked really. Uh, very good point. Which so Kirk lead, has to. Yeah, Kirk? exactly. Leads us to Kirk's whole plan. Yeah, Kirk's got a default to Kirk 101. I'm going to fight him. <laughs> I'm going to beat him with my forearm like you wouldn't believe. Right? So Kirk decides, listen, if this guy's overtaxed, if we turn on everything, he can't control it all. So it'll be too much for him. This is the stupidest plan I've ever heard. Has he done away with anybody since he took over? Well, he just did freeze a lady in the corridor back there, but yeah, whatever, dude. Right now. I will say that I I have a fan theory. This is my personal fan theory that Charlie did in fact figure out how to run the entire ship. He created a construct that shall henceforth be known as Scotty. (laughs) He, he is a manufactured figment created from the cosmos. His only role is to run the ship, which also explains why Scotty is a terrible engineer. <laughs> and, and to fit in with this particular program, this particular episode, Hey, isn't that a new engineer? I don't know. Seems normal <laughs> to me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie making making Scotty was really good. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> you know what we what we say when Charlie does something like that? It was good he did that. <laughs> but so, but then Charlie really messes up. He sits in Jim's chair. You know, I I know that really pisses Jim off. But then the the uh, their only method to fight that is he's like, okay, now and. Bones and Spock start doing the weirdest little (laughs) shuffle dance, click, click, clack, clack, turning everything on. And like, I'm not even sure they knew what they were turning on. 
And then they both shuffle together to the next station, start turning everything on, turn everything on, and then shuffle, 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 turn everything on. He won't be able to handle everything. Why does he have to <laughs> handle everything? All he has to do is steer the ship. He doesn't have to right? worry about where the thermostat is at or exactly, exactly. when the when the uh you know the pool pump is gonna turn on. He just, that stuff I So you just told the ship to scan the nebula we're near? So what? I don't care. I'm I'm gonna still drive. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Listen, I don't care if the lawnmower blades up or down. I can still push the accelerator. Like, you do, you guys. I'm just trying to get us. To, I'm just trying to get us to someplace with more chicks. Right. Well, of course, now Kirk has realized he's super weak, and Charlie's <laughs> like, "What's going on, man?" So Jim just starts throwing him around. <laughs> And Charlie says, you can't do that. Tummy ache. Yeah, I love how he just points at him. And Kirk's like, once again, 60s mortal wound. He's got to hold his belly. (laughs) Now, that did get us a chance to see the most amazing thing on the original series. Yes. Kirk flops to the floor. And what do we see? The seams in the carpet. There is carpet on this bridge. There is carpet and it's a modular set. Very cool. Um, the, the thinking is, is that they did add carpet to this set, uh, pretty early on because it sounded like an open cafeteria Yeah, that and totally you makes sense. sound bouncing all over the place. And I'm sure that given the fact that it was a raised set, it, probably the clomping of their shoes was terrible too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, nope. yeah. So we, we do get to see the carpet. So we don't, we don't see any carpet in any hallways at all, but <laughs> on the bridge. Yeah. They right. got carpet on the bridge. No seatbelts, uh, but carpet. So now that uh, he's getting into his weakened state, all of a sudden, Janice is back. <laughs> <laughs> and the look on her face is like, uh, yeah, that's great that I'm on the bridge. I'm not wearing anything under this. <laughs> I had I'm this still dream my- when I was in high school <laughs> and not cool. Listen, it's 1966. You realize I can go to jail for wearing this, right? <laughs> Now, the really sad thing is, though, is it was only Janice. Where's Sam? Yeah, I know. Where's Sam reappearing? What embarrassing place does Sam end up reappearing in? (laughs) And that dude's phaser. Right? (laughs) Ooh, all the phasers. Ooh. Uh, There's a whole story itself. Right? So then, of course we find out what's really going on as a floating head emerges. Uh, Floating translucent heads. So episode two of what was aired on TV, and we've already figured out the precursor to third rock from the sun. (laughs) I'm just going to say Star Trek makes a really good case for giant floating heads being a bigger pain in the butt than they're worth. It's true. It's true. I, I mean, let's be honest in sci-fi in general, have you ever seen giant floating heads turn out to be a good thing? And, and, and this is just my thing. If I'm going to go to the point where I'm going to become energy and I'm going to be a big floating head. Well, mm-hmm. you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to put more hair on my head. I'm yeah. not, I'm not coming back as the 70 year old bald man to tell everybody. George Clooney. I'd come back as George Clooney's floating head. Yeah. In the, in the words of uh, Gallagher, may he rest in peace. God said, do you want brains or do you want hair? 
<laughs> and clearly this guy said, right. we have evolved past the need for your hair cuts. Whereas the gorilla said, I want her. <laughs> it's just Aww. big floating heads. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in next gen, they had them. Um, they, they had floating heads. They were always floating old man heads. Um, <laughs> Honestly, as much as we see floating heads, I am really surprised that Star Trek five, when they beam down to the paradise planet, the shaft of light and the big head pops up that not one of them goes, are you flipping kidding me? Right. <laughs> How many times do I have to deal with this crap? <laughs> Kirk should have been like, is Charlie here? Yeah. <laughs> oh crap. Wait, if, if you're God, then Charlie's <gasps> no. Okay. And the first thing is like, Janice isn't here. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, wasn't she on the ship? I think she was on the ship. Uh, she was. This is five. Yeah. Oh, she might have been. Yeah. Anyway. Um. So yeah, it's it's a pretty messed up story. And the big floating hill tells him, "Hey, you know what? We're gonna have to take Charlie back. We didn't notice he had left. We is we may be all powerful, but we're not real attentive." Um, so by the time we figured out he was gone, it was like, oh boy. Yeah. So, uh, so we floated our heads over here and we're going to go ahead and take Charlie back with us. Oh gosh. You know, my bad guys. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, jeez. I'm crow. And ah. we're going to give you all your people back. Oh, sorry about the Antares. Um, oh. yeah, we didn't, we didn't notice the whole thing until that, that was all done. So, uh. So, oh, yeah, and we kind of like Sam, so we're going to keep him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's a stuntman. He it's just true. rolls around on the floor all day. He's so good at it. <laughs> so they, they all say their tearful goodbyes for some reason, because now they like Charlie. And they're like, oh, bye, Charlie. And Janice is like, you know, I know you just disappeared me and all, and you're super creepy, but <laughs> let me give you a hug. <laughs> Bones is looking at her like, um, you want to, you want to hold back your womanly instincts there, buddy. <laughs> and, and Charlie is going to go out the way that, well, a few other all powerfuls will go out in star Trek. He's going to <laughs> stand in one place, say something, a few words that are going to echo over and over, over in his case, he wants to stay, stay, stay. 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 Now this is going to happen to, Trelane, the square goddess. Yeah. I forget what he ends up saying. Um, but Apollo, he ends up doing it, and then Gorgon. All Damn, of those we should guys have done that with Q. Disappear. Oh, what a missed opportunity. Oh, very good point. Very good point. John Delancey could have said the same thing over and over and over again. Right? You know what? If I go on that Star Trek cruise, I'll have to ask him. Well, actually, I think at this point, I think we all just say that Picard season two was a fever dream, and we can write a better story. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> I mean, it's all a fever dream. Listen, Picard is a lovely show. It is not Canon. Picard is a show. That's all about. I can't really make it to comic con. <laughs> so I get to see everybody on TV. <laughs> I don't know. So then Rand starts crying. 
And it's like, okay. And Kirk takes her in his arm. It's like, it's all right, Yeoman. It's all over now. And I love that because it's just like, oh yeah, I guess I guess for the guy who wasn't assaulted in her own quarters and then vanished from reality only to reappear at her workplace in her nighty with nothing else on. <laughs> Yeah, I guess for the person that that none of that happened to, this all worked out really, really well. Um, right. Other people, now, not so much. So on that note, that's that is the end of Charlie X, uh, which is an iconic episode in the original series, and it mentions Thanksgiving. Uh, so happy so holidays, everyone! <laughs> we are we are using that very very slim reasoning to say that this is a Thanksgiving episode. <laughs> there are turkeys, man. <laughs> And it's Thanksgiving on Earth. <laughs> Nowhere else, just on Earth. <laughs> We're not going to tell you specifically where either. <laughs> anyway. Um, we, we don't have it on other planets because every time we try to institute it, they say, wait a second, what exactly is this celebrating? And then celebrating it gets really, really confusing and, and somewhat awkward. And so we just don't so do let, it anymore. So let me get this straight. You just showed up to my alien planet and you want to put a settlement down after you got off your ship and you want me to celebrate Thanksgiving. <laughs> this does not sound like a good idea. <laughs> All right. So I personally, I think this was a great episode. I love this um, episode. This is what the original series is all about. It's campy. It's fun. It's stupid, but I mean, come on. It's so good. Has guys in tights. Uh, right. It's, it's not, <laughs> This is not good sci-fi. No way whatsoever is this good sci-fi. But it is so much fun to watch. Yes. So I highly advise if you get the chance, watch Charlie X season one, episode two. It is so good. And with that, uh, that brings us to the end. Uh, no idea what we're doing next time. Uh, once we figure it out, we'll, we'll, we'll post you know. something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening. Um, like to give a big shout out to our friends over at five year mission for the use of their, their song beam down as our intro and outro. Thank you. And uh, make sure you head on over to five year mission.net and check out all their work. Um, they have uh, uh, lots of great music cause they do an episode for each episode. Excuse me. They do a song for each episode of the original series grouped into albums for each, uh, each season of the show. Uh, it's really good stuff. Really a lot of fun. Uh, I, especially the one for Charlie X. It is funny, <laughs> real funny. Uh, also be, uh, uh, or check them out over on Apple music as well. Uh, they, they are available on Apple music. I actually just picked up one of their albums off of there. It's real good stuff. Nice. Um, yeah. So thank you again. And, uh, we'll talk to you guys later. Talk to you all later. Keep on drinking. 2016.